you got to take care of people, right? I think that's a big thing. You got to make sure that, you know, it depends what the circumstances are for the acquisition. But I, th- I think first and foremost, right, like, am I taking care of my folks, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when they, they leave and, and they're done, are they going to be like, yo, you know, Emiliano was a jerk. He screwed me over, right? right? Or like, look, we did the best with what we had and I landed somewhere and then we kind of went from there and I did X, Y, Z, right? And again, I, I don't know, maybe I'm stupid, right? I'm trying to be a nice, maybe I'm, I'm too nice or I'm being naive or, you know, I'm trying to make sure that the folks are being taken care of and the team is good because the world is small. It's a small, small world. Very, very small world. Right? Especially in tech. I think people don't realize that. Like, I think that's a big advice. That's a big thing. Like, don't burn bridges. Don't be that jerk because every, you know, with LinkedIn, everybody knows somebody that knows that person. And everybody's back channeling. Everyone's asking. So I want people to say, you know, that I treated them right. Right. And I think that's one big thing. Welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. What if you could hang out with experienced tech industry executives, ask them about career growth, equity compensation, investing, financial strategies, and more. Then take an insight or two to guide your own career and lifestyle. Each week on the show, Christopher Nelson shares an in-depth look at how to navigate tech careers and hyper-growth companies, select the right companies to work for, earn equity, and build a passive income portfolio. Christopher is an author, tech exec, and principal and co-founder of Wealthward Capital. His goal is to give you the information you need to grow your career, build wealth, and make an impact. Now, here's Christopher. Welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. I'm your host, Christopher Nelson. I've been in the tech industry for 20 plus years, and after climbing my way to the C-suite, working for three companies that have been through IPO, and investing my way to financial independence, I'm here to share with you everything that I've learned and also introduce you to people that can help you along the way. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to my good friend, Emiliano Berenbaum. Emiliano is a founder of two different companies, one that he sold for acquisition and the other one that he's scaling today. It's important that when we trade our time and talent for equity, sometimes we're doing that as a W-2 employee working for another large corporation or sometime we're building. I really want to dig into Emiliano's story today of how he took his career from an engineer to an architect and then to a founder and CEO. What were the things that he had to learn? What were the skills that he had to build? In addition to that, we're going to spend the second half of the show really digging into what is building a software company for acquisition. What does that look like? He's done it already. He may be doing it again, but he has a lot of insight and lessons learned from having been there and done that. I'm excited to share that with you today. Let's go talk to Emiliano right now. Okay, welcome to this episode of Tech Careers and Money Talk. Excited to introduce everyone to my friend, Emiliano Berenbaum. Emiliano has spent his whole career working on enterprise products from database security solutions to network monitoring. He was the first non-founder employee at Okta and a key architect in pioneering cloud single sign-on in user management solutions. Emiliano was a co-founder and CTO of Cytail that was acquired by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. He helped to develop the standards for Spiffy and the CNF adopted standard for workload identity. Presently today, he's the CEO of Trussell that provides access control to critical cloud systems. Couldn't be happier to introduce Emiliano. How you doing, man? How's it going, uh, Chris? Uh, Great to be here with you. 
Well, thanks so much. I think there's so much that people can learn from your story. And I love starting in the origin. And for you, you know, when I go and and you look at your LinkedIn, you see that you did a lot of work at a lot of different companies as an engineer before you really found yourself to this cloud identity access space. Help us understand yeah. a little bit of, you know, how did, how did you find yourself in tech? Yeah, I, I so if we go to the beginning, um, uh, when I was applying for college, right? Uh, this is in the, I guess I, I entered in 91, which was kind of an incredible time, right? It, it says, you know, the web browsers and the internet, Mozilla was coming out mm. and it was like this whole brand new thing, right? And it was kind of in the cusp, right? I mean, we were still doing everything uh, through terminals. I was slightly into computers uh, when I was young. I, I had my Commodore 64 yeah. and I... I did a little bit of programming, but, you know, not to the level that I, I've known people, right? That they were like right. such savants, right? But um, I was applying and I got into an engineering program. I got into a program between uh, NYU and a little college in New Jersey called Stevens. Hmm. They, so it was a dual degree, right? I, it was, uh, I ended up doing electrical engineering and, and CS, wow. but I had no idea. Right. So I just <laughs> I started getting getting into that and it, it clicked, you know, a lot of the a lot of the the stuff that we were learning. I, I really found uh, my sweet spot. Right. I think a lot of people when they're when they're kind of going into school and trying to figure out what they're going to study and do, it's hard for them to figure out like, hey, w what really excites me? What do I like uh, right. learning about and doing? And, um, you know, I loved it. It, it, it was really great learning. It was, I would go above and beyond what we have to do. Right. And, and I didn't, I never really thought of it as, as work in a way, which is kind of good, right? right. You, you want to do something that, that you, you know, that you love. And, uh, you know, something that really helped me is that when I got over, um, cause you, I, I'd spent three years at NYU and then two years at, at Stevens and Hoboken, is that, you know, Stevens had a big co-op department and oh, wow. I decided to co-op, which ended up adding more time to my, uh, to my graduation. But it, it's funny because I ended up co-oping just at one place for my whole time, which was Belcor. Mm. So I don't know if, uh, if you know that, if you know about Belcor, what that is, but a lot of people don't now, which is kind of well. I know. Uh, I know about Bell Labs. Bell Labs at one point, right. I think. I think the C programming language, I believe, came out of Bell Absolutely. Labs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It was great because it, it was. Um, we had um, when AT and T was broken up by the government and split into the the baby bells, right? Like, right. Uh, I don't know if people. People. I don't know if people even know this. Anymore. Remember that, right? So you had like uh, uh, Bell Atlantic, Bell Pacific. Uh, you had Southern Bell, Bell, I remember SBC. Southern Bell, right. So all these companies had, they broke up into the regionals and AT&T got to keep the the long distance uh, business. And then right. the, baby, the seven baby bells got to keep the, the, uh, local, the local business. And, that, yeah. and that's what Verizon became, right? Verizon mm -hmm. was New York. And I think they, they merged with Bell. I, you know, you could kind of look at the history, how the baby bells kind of, when re, yeah remerged again into the two bigger it's Verizon and AT&T now yeah yeah so i was i was working at Bellcore which was not only did they split the baby bells they split bell labs right so mm. there was bell labs that AT&T owned 
and oh. Belcore was the the R and D arm for the Baby Bells, and it, it was just an incredible place. Wow, um, it was just amazing to work there with you know people that you know there was people there that you know were you know world famous had invented so many things. We would always um, one of the one, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but one of the guys that was in the cafeteria. There was, I don't know if people know, there's this language called awk, right? Right. Uh, and one of the, it's basically the the initials of the people that came up with that language. And one of the first ones, A, is Aho. And he wrote a compiler book. So, you, you know, you know, we studied that in school. It was, it was right. a great thing. And I would see him in the cafeteria and it was, it was just crazy. <laughs> but, you know, like just being like a, a little nerd fanboy about that kind of stuff. Well, um, and it. Yeah. And I think it gets overlooked today, but there was, you know, I just remember Bell Labs, Bellcore, Xerox Park yeah. was out, Xerox yeah. Park was out West, but these were these epicenters. And when you think about the timeline that you were in and you were yeah. in telecom in the nineties yeah. and you think about how everything is on mobile today, that was the birthplace. And oh yeah, back then, I mean, it was computer science wasn't all of these you know, uh, applications and all this application level programming. I mean, you really had to sit at a layer that was between hardware, that was between software that wasn't that mature at that point. So there was a lot of hard science back then. Oh yeah. It, it was, it was amazing. Right. Cause I, I actually, I, I shared an office with one of the, one of the folks that came, came up with, um, Oh God, I'm forgetting the standard. I don't, I don't think it was Sonnet, but one of the one of the telephone standards. And mm -hmm. what we were doing is that see, this, it's kind of funny. It's all coming back to me. The way that it worked, the divesture was mm -hmm. that Bell Core could could come up with the science, could come up with the standards and everything, but they couldn't manufacture uh, mm -hmm. products and switches or anything like that. So. Mm -hmm. Well, the group that I worked with uh, was the group that kind of that came up with ISDN, which was kind of like wow. the old the old technology that would go in, and it was like like two wires. I forgot how many bits it was, but right. um, what 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 we were doing is we wrote software to to test and make sure that the that the uh, the switches were compliant, right? So you would have these companies like Fujitsu. Mm. And um, some of the German, like um, some of the German companies, American companies that would make the switches, we would get them in the lab and test them out. So I was writing software to uh, to look at the switches, to basically talk to them and send them messages. And it was like this whole OID standard, right, wow. which kind of got adopted by SNMP, if you know that stuff. Yeah, sure. But just learning all of that, actually working with real stuff as I was, you know, a a junior and um, senior in, in college, I, I learned more like working wow. there than I ever did, you know, that I did in school. It was, it was an amazing experience. Right, right, right. right. So, that helped translate everything from this theoretical oh, yeah. to now you're in there doing it. And I mean, I, I just also think that at that point in time, I mean, it was so new and every, it was the community was so small that you're right. You could just walk in, in a company like that, an experience like that and just get knowledge dropped on you that was amazing yeah no it was great and everybody that worked there it was like such an incredible experience because you know they were they were all brilliant all mm. ready to teach and i learned so much i was it, it was just 
an incredible time, right? And we, yeah, I could, I could go into it, you know, a lot, lot more, but it was, it was, I mean, I got into this language. We wrote a lot of the front end in this thing called uh, TCLTK, Tickle TK, right. which um, the gentleman who wrote it ended up going and working at Sun. And, oh, wow. um, and I kind of followed it because I loved it. And then I started hearing about this th- other language that they were working on called Java, kind of right. before it, it even hit. But it was just crazy, like just being part of that and seeing that. It was just uh, just an incredible time, and everything was happening so quickly back then. Even even now, but it was it was incredible. But like you were saying, right? It was a lot of how do you go from the telco stuff now and, and into the world that we are in now, right? It was it was pretty, well, yeah. pretty fascinating. Because let's, I mean, so let's so now you're you're in this very cohesive environment where you're getting a lot of teaching, you're learning very rapidly. Then you exit and you start going out into. Yeah you know, different businesses. And I'm sure at that point it had to be very different, right? You were probably uh, walking in, having a ton of experience with these guys, very new technology. I think, you know, trying to understand like, how did you then start moving towards or moving forward as an engineer and then, and then falling into this whole position as architect? Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, right after college, I, I went to work at IBM because, you know, I was in the East coast and yep. uh, looking around at different jobs. And, you know, I kind of have a funny story about that where, um, you know, like looking at a, a lot of the banks and a lot of jobs in New York City was all banking, right. right? That was before there were like any tech companies in New York. This is before the dot-com, right? right? So if you wanted to work in, in, in tech or programming or anything like that with computers, you were basically working at a bank, right? Mm-hmm. There was few software firms uh, like here and there, right? There were there were a couple, but not not like it is now, right? There was right. no Google or anything like that. And I talked to one of the banks, and I don't want to say who or anything, but they were asking me. The question was like, "Hey, what do you think your what's your work environment like?" And I started describing Belcor, right? I was like, right. "Hey, look, it's this kind of collegiate environment. You could bounce ideas off each other. You know, people are it's kind of pushing and." all of this and you know you have uh, luminaries and you could learn and grow and understand the field and and really capture that and they had like a great library and i would check out books and read it and there were two of the guys two of the guys were, were interviewing me and then one of them turns to me and he said well i just want to tell you at you know this company we do real work so i just you know we don't do that stuff like, <laughs> you're like what real work what <laughs> That was the, that's what he told me, and I I I, I don't think I've ever been rejected from a job faster because I, I somehow I think like I had gotten home from the interview and they had already called me and told me not to bother like they weren't going <laughs> to keep on talking to me. But it was just funny, right? It was just you know like seeing how these a little bit between how it was East Coast West Coast right? uh, philosophy because I think Belcor was even though they were in New Jersey it was it like when I look up I look fondly back on those days it had a little bit of a you know, you kind of see how a lot of these companies out, out here in California have become it, because what you find out is a lot of the a lot of the talent there ended up at Google and other places, mm. which is really interesting, which is funny because I think when we talk about Spiffy and all that kind of stuff, it, it kind of connects back. So I love right. that, the how it loops back into into Bell Labs. Right. In your experience yep. there. So then at what at what point in this transition did you start working in the security and access domain? Oh, not, I, not at that point, but it, it, it's, it's funny because I, 
I did a couple of projects. So I was at IBM for a couple of years. Eventually I did, I did my dot-com stint. So I, mm. I worked at a, a Latin American web portal called okay. uh, Star Media. That was, that was a while ago. So that was, that was crazy New York during the dot-coms. But the, the stuff that I worked on there was uh, their email and the, the system that was um, kind of like uh, their, their version of uh, GeoCities, if you remember that one, right. where you could publish yeah. your own web page. Yeah. yeah. So just working on how to identify and how to like log into that. And it was just, it was crazy, right? It was the wild west. Right. right? There were no protocols, all that, all the frameworks we have today wasn't there. So I'm sure it was just. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then, you know, it was, we were kind of doing, it's funny because we would give people space to put, it was almost like a disc online, which is kind of crazy when you look at the drop boxes and boxes of the world, right? We were giving people, I forgot how many how much space right at this point? Because whatever number I say, it's gonna be it's gonna sound so tiny, like I don't know, like right. 50 megs or something. Right, right. And they could put up their little website and we would display it. But then, you know, hackers would go in and create like bazillion accounts and then stripe content or wares across that and you could download it was just and we were trying to like take those accounts down and it was like right. how were they authenticating, trying to trying to put captchas and all of that. So it'd be kind of, even back then, and this was like in the 90s, right. it was like this warfare with people trying to exploit things and, and get in there mm. and um, um, use our services for something else, right? So it was, right. it was yeah. pretty pretty interesting. And I could, I, I don't want to get more into it, but it was, uh, it was it was fascinating to see that at that point, yeah, mm. yeah. And so as you're, as you're growing your career, you start identifying, okay, security access. You also start moving from just being an engineer to being an architect. I'm curious, like what, you know, what drew you? I mean, was it these experiences like seeing the wild west? Did you see, was it an opportunity that you saw or was it really the fact that, no, I enjoy solving this problem. I enjoy trying to create this line of defense. And then what were, you know, additional like soft skills and things that you were building that helped you, you know, position yourself from an engineer towards an architect? Yeah. You know, um, you know, I think an important thing is how do you bridge what's there to be able to explain it and put it Mm. together and kind of explain, look, here's where we're trying to go. And here's, here's the technology that we're trying to use to do that with, with certain understanding. Right. I I think from, as I look at things now, right. Right. and, And back then, you know, one of the problems is like your ego that you think you could do everything. (laughs) <laughs> right. But important thing, a lesson from now is like, hey, look, I, I know up to here, right? Here's right. where it ends. How do I get the right folks to work with me and kind of figure out mm. the nitty gritty details? But, you know, the architecture role is kind of like sort of like the next step, right? Because, you know, you, you end up having something that's having persistent, that's talking to a database. Right. Right. So how do you start scaling this out? I think it it also comes into what I would say you know, the difference between computer science and software engineering mm. is it's kind of like an assembly line, right? Because, right. you know, like when you think about chemistry, right, it's like, hey, how do I combine these chemicals to do this, right? And chemical engineering is like, well, okay, well, how do I do this? How do I make mm. a, a million pills right. or a million of this at scale, right? Mm. And then like all of a sudden I have to worry about heat 
and getting the materials there on time. So, you know, it's the same thing with, I would say, computer engineering and, and product, right? Like, how do I push this out? How does mm. it scale? What's the methodology for reporting bugs or logging right. or performance and all these things? So mm. like understanding that and how th those things have evolved has been has been amazing. Right. And, you know, up to now where we have, you know, when, when I started, right, people would have point releases of products that were shrink wrapped and, and running right. in a computer. Right. Mm -hmm. And now you kind of have, you know, the model is SaaS where things are getting updated all the time. Yep. And, you know, sometimes certain companies update all the time, anytime. Right. But you have to build you have to build it in a way that you could do that. And comparing it to before where it was like, well, we're going to big bang this every every year or every You're right six yeah months exactly send you a new disc yeah <laughs> yeah it's in your disc yeah yeah <laughs> so understanding that and like all those mechanics that's that's where you start getting into the architect mm. part right to understand a lot of that stuff right and then you start moving beyond that and i think that's where you start looking at at companies and and other parts that you could move into right as taking a higher role right beyond oh, that beyond the architect role Wow. So that that's, I, I really like that analogy and I want to just read that back because I think that makes complete sense in the sense in that computer science is, this is the area, the arena that we're talking about engineering, software yep. engineering is how do you now create these things at scale? Yep. And so for yourself, as you went in there, computer scientists working in lab, understanding a lot of things, you get fascinated by how do you build and scale these things. Also, yeah. as industry is changing too, right? As we're moving from, yeah, these smaller releases from on on premise solutions, you know, from, you know, client server, you're activating all these terminals to now you're actually living in the cloud. Yeah. Then you your your mind starts expanding as a engineer to becoming an architect and how this works together. And then I think yep. what you slid in there right at the last minute is then you started thinking, well, how do companies work? How do I actually go and put companies together? And right. this is on the on the career side, uh, you know, of this conversation that we're having today. I want to understand at what point did you start realizing? Because when I think about your career, you then get this architect position at Okta and you grow and scale that company, then ultimately you wind up at Splunk helping us with our cloud solution in figuring out how do we make sure and secure that as we're scaling it. Then you say, I'm going to go start my own company. Like what, what was going on? Like what was, what were you seeing and what were the skills and confidence that you had to know that it was, it was time to go do that? Or was it the yeah. matter expertise? I think there's a little bit of both in there. No, I mean, look, I, I, th I think what starts happening is I, I did a couple of startups in back in New York, uh, in the East Coast, and and that was that was really eye opening, right? But then moved out to California, and you know, by by pure craziness, I got <laughs> to meet uh, Todd and Freddie, which were the you know the two co founders of of Okta, and Todd had uh, just left Salesforce and. Mm was starting Okta, which at that point he, it was called Seshore. Uh, <laughs> but then, uh, you know, the funny thing is, I forget if it was his wife or somebody told them, you should never have ass in a company name. Just that doesn't right. work. Don't, just take that out. That does, shouldn't be there. Yeah, take that out. And then, you know, eventually we landed with Okta, which was a pretty interesting uh, story. But the great thing there was 
learning from from those people, right? Learning mm. from Todd and Freddie and everybody they hired, right? Because like I like I wasn't really an architect. I was just working there, right? Like wearing a right. lot of different hats, but able to like pull in an amazing team. Really impressed by everybody that I worked with uh, at, at Okta, you know, and, and we were kind of building this together. And it was an interesting time, kind of a little bit similar like now, uh, where it was like 2008, you know, you'd had the market right. crash, a mm-hmm. uh, lot of layoffs, right? Mm. A lot of people out on, you know, looking around and, uh, you know, we built the whole, the whole company in, in uh, San Francisco, right? So everybody was right. hired there, but just so many lessons, so much stuff learned there on, on what was going on, right? And, and it really kind of inspires you, right? And I think that's what ends up happening. Like you, you see certain companies or certain institutions where founders come out of, right. and they almost become like Petri dishes for this kind of stuff. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of people that started companies that came out of Salesforce. True. Yes, very right? true. And, you know, out of Okta now, you've seen, I've seen a lot of people that have come out of Okta that have, that have started companies. And, you know, for the, for me being early on there with, with that team, you you know, you really see a lot of the different aspects, right? And I think if you kind of look at yourself, you know, hey, I'm working at an IBM and I'm working at a fast growing startup, you kind of start seeing a lot of different parts of the industry that you never saw before. Right. Right? Like, Hey, I never, I was never talking to customers, but all of a sudden, you know, you're out there, you're developing the code, but you're also talking to customers and try to figure out requirements. Like, Hey, what does this guy need? Like, what is it? What is the exact problem we're trying to solve for this Mm. person? Yes. And then how do we do that in a quick way? Right. Or how do we do (laughs) that in it? But, but then iterate on it. Right. I mean, that's, that's the important thing. But you start seeing that, right? You start seeing those different parts of it. And, you know, when I, I think a big difference with Okta, one of the big things there was uh, one of the early employees too was was a gentleman called Brian, Brian Hansen, and he was a designer, right? And I'd never really worked with a designer before, right? And I think that's how, you know, that was that was a big thing that Todd saw, right? I think that, you know, seeing things like Facebook in 2008 and all right. these things, yes. a lot of times SaaS products or enterprise products were written by engineers for engineers. So it just looked like crap. It was just like so hard to work with and so hard to figure out, you know, like you'd see, and I even see that now, right? I'll see certain products and it's just so convoluted, right? And it's almost a model where you need a sales engineer to work with you and the deployment takes so long, but you know, one of the advantages that we had was, you know, Brian was such a good uh, UX, UI person, you know, like it really, it made our product simple and easy to use and approachable, right? Because, you know, now they're calling that PLG motion product like growth, right? but it yes. really means like, can I as an individual go into your product, start setting it up, understanding, is there sufficient documentation? Can I, am I self-reliant and I don't need somebody to hold my hand and and put this all together right and i think that's critical right which kind of like gets into one of my mantras right as as i'm you know to have my company now like some of the things that i believe and you know taking that lesson like one of the big things that i always tell everybody is like hey look if you're if you're working at trussell you're working here everybody here works on the product there isn't anything here 
that isn't product. If your documentation sucks and nobody could figure out how your product works, your product sucks. Right. right. It doesn't matter if you're the most brilliant, you know, mm. computer scientist and you figured out the best algorithm. But if nobody could get to that or use it or in, you know, unlock the value there, of it, yeah, unlock the value, then it's worthless, right? And I think understanding that that everybody there is contributing to the effort. Like, if the documentation sucks, if the interfaces sucks, if I have to do like fifty clicks. Is there an API that's simple to use, mm. right? That's, that would that's documented, right? Easy to connect to, yeah. Like that's the critical thing, and I think that's how your career starts to grow, right? When you kind of see that, because if you're mm. just like in a box writing code and you don't see this, you know, a lot of times I've always heard throughout my career, right, where people will say, you know, the the product manager will come in and say like, hey, it, it's not working. The person doesn't get it. And then, you know, the engineers will be like, well, that guy's stupid. <laughs> you know? It's like, well, no, yes. it's, it's not clear, right? We don't have, we need good, concise error messages. We need to have a good explanation. What does this do? Do we have too many buttons? Mm. We have less buttons, right? On top of everything else, right? And, and I think that's, that's how you start kind of like to grow and see that, right? Like you're kind of, as, as you were saying, career path, you know, you're starting out like writing, I'm writing some something that's talking to a Fujitsu switch that I'm using in a lab, right? And then eventually, you know, you're coming in somewhere and you're like, hey, I'm writing this so you could connect to your users and we could kind of see usage and who's over entitled and how do I show all, the, all this information mm. in a nice, clean way? And then how do I export that data to Splunk so then you could alert on it, right? right. So that's something we're doing now. But it's well, like understanding that path, right? How a lot of the stuff has has morphed and, and changed. Well, in, yeah. in what I heard you say that I think is so important for people to understand from a career perspective is we start off and we want to do our piece very well. Yeah. And then it's understanding how do all of those pieces connect together. And sometimes it can be in, you know, you're doing a subroutine that's part of a, you know, larger piece of development. But ultimately, what I heard you say is, and I don't know if, what the Trussell mantra is or your mantra is, but it's everybody is supporting the product. And if yeah. we can't make the product clean and simple for our users, then we're, we're not doing our job as a company. And that's one of the things that I talk about is we, as, as tech employees, have to be focused on ultimately the results that the company is trying to accomplish. We want to make right. a, a piece of software or an application that's solving a specific problem. We want it easy to use, easy for people to understand. So you have to understand how everything is going to intersect and ultimately help that. No, absolutely, right? I think that when you, when you kind of look at this, you know, there's a certain experience. Let's say if you, if you sit in a new car, Right. Like mm. what's the smell when I open the door? How, how are the controls? What could I see? Right. And people study this, the ergonomics of it. Right. Like where are the buttons, where are the switches, what, how do I interact with this stuff? How do I, how big are they? What do the lights look like? The colors, mm. right. To make the best, best experience. Right. So when you look at consumer products, people just study this all the time. Right. But it's the same thing with enterprise software. A lot of companies don't believe that. I've seen so many products that look like spreadsheets. And you're like, well, what's, why don't I just use a spreadsheet? Why do I have to use this? That, right? there's, so, there's a big question there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you're right, right? But, you know, it's everything, right? And, and that's how you kind of like start growing is that, hey, look, the, the subroutine still needs to work. 
mm-hmm. right? Like that's the thing, right? Like the function still needs to work. Like we need monitoring, we need logging, we need all of that. Like you need all the pieces, right? I mean, that's why it's hard to succeed, right? Because there's so mm-hmm. many pieces to this, right? It's not, hey, do I have the right product? Is it going to be stable, right? What happens if I get a million users? Is this thing going to keel over, right? Has it right. been architect correctly? Does it scale? Also, is it easy to use? Is it documentation? And that's not even getting into sales and marketing, right? Which is in my role now, that's like, oh, wait, I have to explain this to somebody in three sentences? Or how do I say what I do with five bullet points? Not mm. only that it's valuable to you and compelling for you to have a conversation with me, but I'm also differentiating with the other five companies that are trying to do what we're doing or are similar and there's overlap plus the three other companies that are you know pretty big but they're kind of missing this but they kind of do this but not perfectly how do i tell that story how do i make it compelling to you get on a zoom call with me and right. <laughs> uh and talk about it and then like and and me convey the value right so then we could kind of move on and then move on to a to a demo move on to a POC. You know, was my demo compelling enough? Did I answer all your questions? What's the POC process for you to try this out in your environment? And then how do we then get to a contract and negotiate that? Like all of those steps, right? As an engineer, right? Being stuck, right? Let's say like I'm I'm back in New Jersey talking to a Fujitsu uh, switch, right? Like that's the part that you end up realizing like, hey, look, if I can't sell this, if I can't sell this product or get people to use it, I don't have anything. It doesn't matter what I wrote. And I think that's what a lot of people miss, right? And they forget about. I really enjoyed the Okta story. I think what I heard from you is that that was the moment where you saw the pieces come together. You saw everything happening, how it was done. And you'd obviously had other experiences. I think that things do change when people see it done right or when they see it work, when they see it finally work, you're like, oh, this is how it all comes together. And I think, and that's where I think success breeds success. You see Salesforce opened up. There's a lot of founders that came from Salesforce. Then now Okta saw success. People come from that company. So at some point, then, then I know you did, you did go to Splunk. You got experience there. At some point though, you said, I'm now ready to go found my own company. What was that moment for you? Because you left security, you left a lot of, I'm sure some RSUs and things on the table, but you knew, and I'm trying to understand, was it, was the drive really that you wanted to solve problem for customers? You saw real opportunity in the market. Was it you know, I really want to build something on my own. Like what was, what was the big driver and motivator for you? Yeah, no, there's, there's, you know, it's a lot of psychology, right? I think, um, <clears throat> you know, there's ego, right? Sure. Like I'm, I'm smart. I know how to do this. I'll figure this out. Right. So you kind of like believe in yourself, which, you know, any person that wants to do this, uh, I would say, don't do it. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's, the, it's like, like you just hear the good stories. Yeah. Right. Like everybody hears the successes. Everybody's like, well, I do this. I'm going to become a, a Google or something like those are like th- 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 those are like astronomical odds with incredibly small, you know, like everything came together. Right. It's That's just right. like a perfect thing. Right. And, you know, you, you do a company and you get a couple of pivots and you could run out of cash. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that that's that's the big thing right like what made me want to do it is that i thought i could right i I saw other people do it i i and and i think that's 
that's the funny thing about about being in the valley and you know you 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 were yeah. you were here for a very long time is you see it all the time that's right. right so i think that for people in other places that don't see it and don't see that kind of space or understand the industry of how do you raise money how do people take a chance on you they don't they're not exposed to that so they don't kind of think about that for 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 software, right, and 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 SaaS exactly. things that we're talking about, right. I mean, people start businesses all the time, right. So, there there is that. Also, you know, my father had he was a shoe wholesaler, so mm. I saw him uh, in his business, right. I, I helped him out a lot. I would go with him to trade shows, and I kind of saw, you know, I would travel to him to factories to source materials and things like that. So I, I kind of had that a little bit of my DNA, also. Um, and I want to try it out, right? I think that mentally and ego-wise, you think like, "Hey, I could do this. I could, I could try it out." But you, I, was, I had no idea what I was getting into, right? And all the details that go into it. But you know, you're sort of you think that I've built a better mousetrap, or we could, oh, we could figure this out. And here's here's a niche that we could kind of dive into, and we have a solution for it. And you're kind of playing out your thesis, right? So you're a builder, right? I think primarily you want to build things and it's in a way I, I think of it as almost like i liked i i like lego i, I don't i don't uh i'm not <laughs> embarrassed to say that i'm nerdy in that sense but you know like you end up trying to do harder and harder sets right, right. so yep. to me it's like you're like okay i did this I, I i solved this problem now i solved this problem now I, I, now here's a bigger problem right i want to build this i want to understand this like you, you need to have a curiosity and a desire to, mm. to kind of go into it and and understand it because like you, you're taken out of your comfort zone, right? Oh yeah. Like as an engineer, Definitely. if now my number one concern is sales and 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 getting customers, right? Like that's it, right? Everything else comes out of that, but everything else has to work and be and be there. But it really is like, how do I tell my story, right? How am I a mm. storyteller? And, and that's kind of like the eye-opening moment, right? That you kind of realize, like, what are the other facets that you have to do and, and understand, right? And, and I, I really enjoy this because it seems like you're, you're constantly learning and you, you essentially keep moving in this engineering mindset of, now that I figured this out, how do I solve the next problem? How do I solve the next problem? And you have then this infusion of an entrepreneurial father who, you know, you see yep. him building and owning his own thing. You think, okay, I, I can do it. And, and I yep. heard you say at one point you had the confidence, you knew you were ready. So you decided to do it. You also though, I mean, coming out of Okta and I know you had the access and security focus for our cloud product when we were at Splunk. Yep. Was there something like you were building this momentum inside of that space that said, I want to build in that? Or did you see problems to solve that you'd sort of been seeing all along from even, you know, your early days? What what helped you focus on that security space and access? Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, you know, people do go about this different ways, right? They're, they're working on a problem internally. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, you know what? This is this is real, right? This is a tool that we're writing internally, but this could be a product, and I think we could we could build something around that, which is kind of like Trussell, right? Like that's that's what that's what that is. With Cytel, it was kind of the growth 
of meshes and Kubernetes, as we kind of saw mm. that, right? So Cytel, it was it was open source. We we came up with a standard and an implementation of it. And it's funny because it is in a way it is security, and it's almost like the same. When I think about it, right? Like our thesis is right. It's like there's no more firewall, right? Like people mm, are right. You know, you have no idea, right? So you know, Cytel is really like, how do I give this thing a piece of identity, right? And that being a certificate that's being rotated, and now I can mm -hmm. have um, MTLS everywhere, right? Like right. all traffic encrypted, right? And the interesting thing about that is a lot of those theory, my co-founders were were from Google, right? And internally for 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 Google, they you know there's there's something similar that they that they use. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, you start tracing the history of some of this technology. Uh, it came from some of the folks, and um, I hate that I, I, I'm forgetting the names, that had joined uh, Google Engineering and Google Engineering Leadership out of out of uh, Bell Labs. And uh, one, one, there was an incident, and the way they were doing identity at that point was, and a lot of companies were doing identity, was like, hey, uh, this port on this machine coming out of, you know, out of this switch, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the database and this right. is the, the application, right? But as you know, they started getting more and more workloads in virtual environments, it just couldn't keep up. Mm. So they took something out of a project called, uh, Inferno, which was, uh, the next generation of Unix that they were building there. Wow. Um, and there was something called plan nine and you start looking at all the white papers, you're going back to like the eighties and nineties. And there was a project called factotum, which I love that name. So they took that and they kind of incorporated that in, into their, into their systems. And we kind of borrow it from that. So it's kind of funny when you start tracing things back, right? The you know, history everyone's all of these like, ideas. Oh, this is brand new stuff. It's like, look, this thing has lineage going back to like New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> You want to keep somebody so that, out, you go to Jersey. Yeah, you go. Yeah, you got to, you want to, you want a certificate? Talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, so, yeah. Well, so I was going to say, and so then, so you had the Cytel experience, but, and then you decided to go do it again. Let's go, let's go back. Yeah. You know, after you had your exit, what was then the decision that said, you know what, I'm, was that another idea? Was it the fact that you, saw how you did it and you think, okay, now I can go do it again, get a better rep. Yeah. Repetition. Yes. 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 Mm. Um, I, I kind of saw, I, I was, I was working with somebody helping out and he was solving a problem. And I was like, you know what? This makes a lot of sense. This is, I, I see this. Right. And you know, really what, what we're looking at is that, and it's funny because we've iterated on this so much and we, we're going to keep on iterating on it. But, you know, a lot of companies, they don't realize how many people have access and to what. That's true. Right. Yes. It, we, we're, we're calling it an over entitlement tax that everybody's <laughs> paying. But it's not only that you're paying an over entitlement tax uh, because maybe you have more seats than you need. Right. But, right. you know, companies, there's some companies that do cost efficiency, but for the people that we're talking about and we, we we call these folks citizen developers 
right? Where it's not your DevOps, it's not your SecOps, it's also like your data engineers, your sales sure. engineers. That's right. Right. If you look at the access that they have into all these different applications, all these different SaaS uh, apps that are holding your family jewels, it's they don't need it all the time. So, you know, really the way the way we think about it is like there, there's this attack surface, right, which is the access that people have. Mm -hmm. Right. And if, you know, just doing some simple math, like you have if you're using this application or you have access to this application, let's say production, you're you're exposed at eight thousand seven hundred hours a year, let's just say. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's your exposure. Right. And are you using that all the time? Right. Mm. And this isn't like your email or things like this. This is right, like right. These critical, are critical things, critical environments that, yeah. you know, if you're going to become a if you are a publicly traded company, some of those could yep. be under compliance audits. I mean, that it's yep. important stuff. Yep. Yeah. Then if, if you look at, you know, I hate to say it, the MGM hack, right? Like first mm. thing that happens is they pop. You know, they're looking at LinkedIn. They're looking at, oh, like this guy is a senior uh, infrastructure engineer. They pop his account. They make a lateral move to the IDP. This guy has access to everything in production. That's it. You're done. Right. Right. Like that, that's what's happening. Right. That's today. Mm. Right. That's the active attack vector. And, you know, what we're doing is like, hey, let me show you who has that, that 8,700 hours. And hey, we could maybe put a multiplier on that with risk. If we calculate sure. risk for you, it's it's bigger. What's his utilization rate? He's only used it 100 hours in the year, right? So he's over permissioned, right? And his mm. utilization rate is like, he's only using this, let's say at 0.05%. Like how do we make those numbers shorter, mm. right? Like how do we start squeezing that? So we could say, interesting. hey, look, I mean, we, we could make it, if we start putting your working hours or like he's not using it when he's sleeping, right? But if he needs it, we could give it to him easily, right? So that, yep. that's a big thing that we've done, like that we could, you could request access and you get it. And there's a whole workflow against it. And if you have permissioning or if you're on call, we take that all into account. Mm -hmm. But we want to make it simple because what ends up happening is in a lot of companies, when people request access, A, it takes a long time right and once somebody gets access they never want to give it up right they so don't. like we'll go in yeah, yeah we'll scan yeah. and it's like hey this guy's not even here anymore this person's a contractor mm. or is is this a system is this a customer right and access isn't you know in a lot of these applications you can't tell if that account is being used by another SaaS system that's pulling in data sure or a customer that has to like access some data or push some files to you or a contractor right or an employee Right. Mm. So it's like a lot. Of, this is kind of like the world that and this is like the problem set and the world that I'm, I'm I'm in right now that, you know, to me, it's fascinating. I think there's just so many ways to to uh, to look at this and, and really, you know, help people understand, give them the visibility so they could they could really understand like, hey, for this, what is my risk exposure for this department, or yes. this job title or this team? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and how do I help clean that up and manage that in a better way? Hundred percent. Well, I want yep. to take a quick break right here. I want to come back and I want to I want to talk about you know company acquisitions, you know startups a little bit more, but some of the yep. strategies of how you built it so that you made sure that wh whatever type of exit you had, it was it was clean. So we'll be right back yep. here in just a moment. We're back here. We're back here for part number two, Emiliano Baron Baum. So. 
we want to talk. It's so important. We believe, you know, here, tech careers and money talk, you want to trade your time and talent for equity. And sometimes that's going to work for a corporate company or sometimes it's building your own. And, you know, you had the opportunity to uh, exit your company for an acquisition. And I think it's so interesting the strategies that are involved in that, like when you're building a startup company, how do you keep it clean and position it for whatever kind of exit that may be in front of you? Yeah, no, I think that, um, <clears throat> and again, this is this is kind of like learning more, right? The stuff right. that you never know about. And um, the critical part is to have that CFO or mm. uh, a fractional CFO. I'm, I'm super lucky. I work with a woman named Betty Caton. She is, she's, we've been working together now. For, it's crazy, like six years at this point, wow. which is nuts. But you need someone that understands the law, right? Like that's, that's the hard <laughs> part, right? Cause like one of the things that you, you're going to see when you start getting into, you know, that executive role is like all the contracts, all the stuff that happens. Wow. Yes. And ha having that clean paperwork, it, it, it is vital, right? Do you have all the right signatures, right? Did everybody sign their uh, offer letters, right? Do mm. they, do we have like everyone's uh, stock issuance? Is that all signed, right? Like little things like that, like are the contracts clean, right? Mm. Like incorporation papers, like all of this stuff, right? Having somebody that understands that and could work with you is, is critical, right? Because if it's messed up, right, then you, you kind of have to go back and redo it or sometimes you can't, right? Like I've seen situations where I, I don't want to say names or companies or anything, right? But usually, you know, um, you, you want to put, if you're hiring somebody, you want to put a cliff on, on right. their shares. Right. Usually that's a standard, that's a standard deal, right? Like, hey, you have to work here for a year and then you get a year and then yeah, you get your twenty five percent per month. Yeah. Right. And that's that's usually how a lot of the contracts are, even for founders, right? Like mm. I have that. But I've seen it where that wasn't in place and somebody leaves and the contract says, like, hey, this guy's getting X percent of the company. And you're like, Well, what do we do now? Right. But right. I, it was not my experience, just like stuff right. that I've seen. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that, you know, some folks don't think about, but it could sink a company before you even get started. Mm. Right. And sometimes they have to like bankrupt and redo it and buy the assets on bankruptcy. It's crazy, right? It could get really, really messy. So having somebody that understands that process and then when you're raising money, it even gets crazier, right? Like you're getting, you know, it's sort of, um, What's the joke, right? You, you, if you're dealing with venture or anybody like that, they're doing how many? How many of these deals have they done? They've done a hundred, right, or a thousand or whatever. How many have I done? One, right. So you, you need someone that's going to be able to translate that for you because otherwise, you know, you could you could sign stuff or not not even realize what you're negotiating, right? So having somebody to help you with that is critical, right? Having that kind of a source that could help you do that is, 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 uh, very important. And so, and so I, I mean, I think this is so, so important in, in many things that you're doing is you want to build the team, right team around you. So it sounds like yep. getting on a clear footing when you're getting your startup off the ground, ensuring that you have yep. somebody that can handle 
you know, finance and legal. And it sounded like your fractional CFO was overseeing the legal and could actually bring in resources to address that if necessary. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's great. Right. Because, you know, like, what do I know? Right. I know like sure. code, I'm a code guy. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, oh, network traffic. I could look at packets. Right. But it's like, wait a minute. How, did we structure this right? Does it have the right clauses? Right. How do we if we break the contract, what, how do we break the contract? What happens there? Right? Like, what do we owe? How many days notice? How many days afterwards? Like all of this stuff, like I've told people, right? Like sometimes I've had discussions and we go back and forth on a contract. I'm like, look, we want this to be the toughest discussion we have. Mm. Right. Because if something happens, then, and I don't want anything to happen. Look, it's written down, right? It's nothing like he said, she said, right? It's all written down. We understand each other and we're starting from a right footing, right? right. And I like to be crystal clear with people and you don't want to like, you know, you don't want to be straight with them. And it's just better to say like, look, this is what it is. This is how it's going to, this is how the contract work, or this is how our employment works. This is the equity you're going to receive. This is, you know, and this is the price and all that stuff, right? Because I've seen, I've seen people that are dishonest and liars, right? And whatever it is, I don't want someone to call me that. Right. Like, right. I, I want to be straightforward and all of that. Right. And, and the reason you're doing this is for the equity, right? If you're, if you're doing a startup, which is funny, right? This is, I shouldn't be saying this, right. Um, that, you know, a lot of people are always, I, I have this argument all the time, right. Especially being here where we are, right. Like you're, you're, you're raising this capital. It's precious, right. And you have people coming out of some big companies and we're like, well, I was making X at the company. Can you, can you match that? And it's like, no, I can't. I cannot. Right. right. What I could give you here is autonomy. You'll be able to build faster. There's mm. no committees. We're moving fast. We're learning. You're going to do a lot of stuff and you're going to get this equity piece. But if you want X amount of dollars, stay where you are. We can't do that. Because like, why would you go to a startup if you want the same money or more at, at, at an early stage? Right? The same cash, the same cash, right? I mean, and that's, you know, and, and, oh, I mean, this is, I mean, this is why we created this podcast, right? Is to be able to have this conversation because ultimately equity will be more valuable, is more scalable than the cash. Yeah. And that's the risk, right? You're taking the risk because there's more upside, 100%. Yeah. So- have you talked about 83B elections and stuff like that in your podcast? Uh, no, I was, I'm actually looking to get a guest to talk about that, but I would love to, I mean, talk about 83B. Let's bring, let's bring it up. I'm curious and, what the and QSBS. Have you talked about QSBS also? No, no. Okay. Well, yet. those, that's, that's really the, like, you know, 83B election, uh, if your company offers it and you're joining a startup, that that's the first question I would have if you have 83B election, which basically means that, let's say I get a hundred shares for a penny, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a dollar, right? Let's say it's a dollar. What you want to do is you want to buy those shares the second you go, the second you join the company or whenever right. you can, because that starts the clock, right? Because uh, the way options work is that you have to, you have to exercise them and then you could, you could, you could sell them. Right. But if you exercise you have to hold it for a year for that to be long-term capital gains. That's right. So if you have, you know, like we would get our RSUs, they would just take it away. Right. But if you had options 
at a public company, you know, the second they vest, right? The second you hit that one year cliff and you say like, okay, I got 25% of my shares. I got 25 shares, right? You'd have to sell them that next day, right? You would have to like exercise them and sell them to cover the tax cost. Right. Right. But with 83B election, you're able to do that now at a penny, let's say, because you're starting, if you go into a startup, the, the shares and options are worth very little. Right. And it, it gets the clock ticking. Well, right? it, get, it gets so, the clock ticking. And then and then to your point, the fact that there's no spread between no the, spread, the strike right. price and then the fair market value of the company, that means that yep. you're not going to be exposed to that additional no tax. tax. Right. Because right. let's say that penny goes to a dollar. Right, you would have to, and you exercise at a dollar, you'd have to pay 90, you have to pay taxes on 99 cents, mm -hmm. right? On that spread that you're talking on the spread. about. So I think right. understanding that is huge. And then QSBS is if you join before a company has a certain number of employees and a certain number of, of revenue, and you hold the shares for five years or more, then um, there's a federal uh, exemption from those it's not even tax at long-term gains right up to i think 10 million dollars right which is a home run right like if you're doing that like yes yeah. it's, it's a huge thing but you know it's like it's like these little details that i talk to a lot of people they just don't understand it and it's like what are you doing here you're joining like an early stage company you need to kind of understand the tax consequences of what you're getting into right and, yep. and then how to do that and you know people say it's unfair Right. It's like, oh, that's not fair. But it's like, look, I don't know. Uh, one out of 10 of these work. Right. That means that 90 percent of these are sold or 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 everybody gets fired. Right. Plus, right. I'm taking, you know, like what would my salary be on the open market? Right. I bet you it's a lot more than I'm making now, I think. Well, sure. Right. 100 percent. <laughs> like, I've seen those. Right. Numbers. So, yes. Yeah. So everybody is is, you know, taking a thing for a 10% chance or a 5% chance that you might hit it. So mm -hmm. those are kind of the incentives that are that are put right now. I mean, that might change, right? But as of today, that's 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 where that's where we are with that stuff. So I think that understanding that and explaining it to to the people that work for you, right? Like I always tell them like, look, this is this is how this works, right? I mean, look, give me a, give me a check for $10 and that's what it is, right? It's not like that's not going to make, you know, and then the thing is, if you leave before that, you get the money back, right? Whatever right. you did invest. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is then there's also the opportunity, you know, you put in a year or two, maybe you, you've you already taken half off the table. Now you have that yeah. in the bank. You know, I think it's really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because like part of the contracts too is like if you leave and you haven't invested or you haven't exercised any stocks, any options, sorry, I think there's a, there's usually a time limit and they go away. That's right. right. So I think a lot, a lot of people don't understand that either, right? Like, or they mm -hmm. don't read it. So they don't know that like, hey, look, unless I, if I only, if I didn't exercise this, right, then, and I leave, if I don't exercise by 90 days, it's just poof, it all goes back into the, the company coffers. Go, but go, right? goes back into the pool. Yes. And, and I yeah. definitely have seen that trend where many people want to go to work for equity, but they don't take the time to understand the nuance of it or what it yep. means because it's, it's an asset in and of itself that has nuance and understanding depending Absolutely. on the company.
Yeah, if you're doing like something with a tax expert on 83B elections and stuff like that, you know, when you get outside the Bay Area, a lot of people just don't even, I'm, I'm always surprised, right? When I bring these things up and they're like, what is well, that? Well, I don't get it. And I was even, Why? I was even in, in the Bay Area, right? And I would, you know, same thing is I, I was very, very big on educating people on what the stock was, what it meant. Because sometimes there'd be people who came from consulting or other yeah. companies where they had maybe uh, employee share purchase programs, but they'd never gotten right. RSUs or they'd never gotten ISOs. And so right. you got to, you know, break down and explain to them what it is. Um, right. And those are different than, than company shares. I mean, than company options that you're getting at a startup, right? Right, right, um, right. I mean, it's all, yeah. I mean, it's a whole, whole gambit. Yeah. But that's right. a great idea. Yeah. I did have, uh, I do have some great tax guys that we covered some of this stuff before, but they're phenomenal. Yeah. That'd be a great, great episode. So thanks for that idea. Yeah. And I didn't even get into preferred shares and stuff like that. Right. Which is what the VCs get. Right. right. So there's like, there's a whole like stack of preference and all the crazy laws that that's as a founder, that's the kind of stuff that you need to understand. Right. Plus the code has to work, right? So that's the well, that's yeah. The, the code part. has. I mean, that. But this is the. It's the two sides of it, right? Is like you're yeah. building the business because, again, you want the equity. You want to be able to right. get to the point where you can realize those things. So you have to understand that, and it's not an or, right? Yeah. If you're doing it right, and, yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know how other founders do it or what they do, and maybe I'm doing it wrong, but. I am super transparent, right? And I tell everybody like, look, this is this is what we're doing. If we get here, if we get to this point that it's a wash, right? It's not, yeah. these things are worth nothing, right? right? And we took it, but that's why you're here, right? Is it, can this thing go up to a certain point, right? Can the, mm -hmm. can the equity be worth X, right? And X is a hundred times a penny or whatever it is, right? right. Or, or a thousand times, or, or my learning too, right? A lot of people, That's right. like what I always tell people is, um, look, it's careers come and go, right? Companies come and go, right? There's mm -hmm. people that like you and I work together, right? Yep. And, you know, we're still connected. And uh, I talk to a lot of people that have worked with me or for me. And, you know, some people don't want to talk to me, some do, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, but it's really, it's critical that, you know, you educate people and they kind of get exposed to this because it's like, you know, what I say to them is like, look, he, this is you on day one, right? Mm. When you leave Trussell, are you going to be better? Are you going right. to be more informed? Are you going to be like more worldly? Are you going to see like, hey, look, this is how we sell to the customers. This is how we, this is how we talk at conferences. This is how I present this, right? Like what exposure can I give mm. people? And it's funny because one of the proudest things that I have about my last company, Cytel, I mean, we were small, right? We weren't even 20 people. Mm. There's already two companies being formed from the alumni. Wow. Right? That they've started their own companies. And it's just, it's amazing. I love that. That's right? great. Yeah. Because you, you kind of want to see that, right? I mean, because this is, it's it's how you build these networks of people. And it's that that's that's a critical part too, right? It's It's... I think you're, you know, it's like those soft skills that you have to have, right? Well, it is. And then it's, it's, I just love seeing, I just know for myself, I remember at a point in my career where I was helping people get to a director level and I love yeah. seeing them get to a director level. And while I went and was a, you know, chief information officer for 
a moment in my career. There's people that are now, I help get to director level that are now, you know, VPs, chief information officers, and are, are running and doing impactful things at, at larger companies. And it's the fact that you're right, you're running an organization for a moment in time that's educating and skilling people up so that they can realize their true potential, so that yep. they can actually do, you know, things and, and make more of an impact in this, you know, world of technology that we're in. Yeah. And, and I think, and it's funny because I, I think I know some of the people you're talking about. Yeah, that also, you do. And they're doing, they're doing great. And it's, yeah, it's sort of like, what do you, what is your, what is your role, right? You're, you're, you're part mentor. You're, you're trying to like grow people. You're trying to like give back, right? Um, mm -hmm. I had people through my career that helped me. I remember like sitting in the office of the, the guy, the, the gentleman that ran the department at Bell, at Bell Corps. And I didn't, I never, I only met him like once or twice. And his name was Stuart Pasonic, I think was his name. Right. But he told me like, look, the tech's always changing. It is always moving. Mm. And you want to be in the vanguard. You want to be the tip of the spear because like two, three years, the stuff will leave you behind. Right? right. If you're not growing with it and moving with it, with your career, you're going to be left behind. And, and, you know, mm. seriously for a 22 year old, me that was great advice right and i've always tried to be on the vanguard right because this stuff moves fast right oh you know ironically i think now if you're a COBOL programmer you're probably making a killing because nobody knows <laughs> that anymore. the two that are left yeah <laughs> yeah the two that are, yeah so i do want to try and wrap up on on this side like just talk yeah. a little bit more of you obviously went through an acquisition before what what are some yeah. strategies or tips like if you know, as we talk about, you obviously had to prepare the team, you had to prepare right. the company for acquisition. What, what are just a couple of strategies and, and tips that you would, you know, give to other founders, other employees, you know, around that process? You, you know, you, you got to take care of people, right? I think that's a big thing. You got to make sure that, you know, it depends what the circumstances are for the acquisition. But I, I think first and foremost, right, like, am I taking care of my folks? Right. Mm -hmm. um, are they going to, you know, when they, they leave and, and, and they're done, are they going to be like, you know, you know, Emiliano was a jerk. He screwed me over. Right. Right. Or like, look, we did the best with what we had and I landed somewhere and then we kind of went from there and I, I, I did X, Y, Z. Right. And again, I, I don't know, maybe I'm stupid, right. I'm trying to be a nice, <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm too nice or I'm being naive or, you know, I'm trying to make sure that the folks are being taken care of and the team is good because the world is small. It's a small, small, very, world, very small, right? World. Like, especially in tech, like, I don't, I think people don't realize that. Like, I think that's a big advice. That's a big thing. Like, don't burn bridges. Don't be that jerk because every, you know, with LinkedIn, everybody knows somebody that knows that person and it's true. everybody's back channeling. Everyone's asking. So, you know, I want people to say, you know, that I treated them right. Right. And I think it, that that's one big thing. You know, big thing on the legal end, you got to make, like I said, going back to the beginning, you got to make sure everything is super tight on the legal mm. end, right? Do I have all my signatures? Is everything there, right? And, you know, sometimes what happens is when the acquirer comes in, uh, they come in and, and they look at your employment contracts and they're like, well, we want to change X, Y, Z, right? Oh, wow. Um, and that, that happens, right? I mean, it, it could go either way, right? I mean, it depends what it is. I mean, I'm just... Uh, yeah, from yeah, what I've heard from people yeah. and yeah. you got to go back and sell it to your team, you mm. know, and, and then you got to tell them like, Hey, look, you gotta, 
we got to do this right They're They want us to come in and, and do this. And what's it going to like, just to make sure. So that, I mean, that's a big reason you want to take care of them. Right. Because right. you, you'll have key players and you know, what, what ends up happening is like, like we got to make sure the key players come along. Right. Because otherwise what are mm. we buying? It also depends how big the company is at that point. We were, we were small when we were acquired, right. but I think if it's bigger, you know, it's definitely a different set of, of of questions right that you'd you'd ask at that point like your sales list and all that kind of stuff and your customers mm. and how they're going to transition and all of that right but that's that's also what you're selling right like what is what's my revenue stream what are the folks that i have what what are my deals my deal size like a lot of that is critical i mean i i, I just i would I can't even imagine the the Splunk uh, deal that just happened. Right, Cisco. right. I was mind boggled too. Like there's a whole team of people that are managing. Yeah, the legal are, bill there. I would love to see that. I mean, that's going to be, <laughs> uh, I think that's going to be over seven figures in fees, I'm sure. Oh, easily, if not eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's going to be uh, just, just dealing with what we did for oh. our, little, our little company. I, I just can't even imagine like nah. yeah, that stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, that's, that's a critical thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like having good hygiene on your paperwork and all your contracts, it's super critical. It sounds right? like even when, when you're raising yeah. money, that's what they, they want to see your books. Right. And if your mm. books look like crap, then, you know, it's, it's not a good sign. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for the time today. We wrap up, we always wrap up with a fire round of five questions. And so okay. number one is what's the worst career advice you ever received? What's the worst career advice that I ever received? I, th I think it was from myself, right? <laughs> I think that Fucking I've learned up. this the hard way. I think the worst career advice that I received was when I left certain companies when I shouldn't have, right? Because mm. of my ego and um, me not being able to play well with others, right? So yeah. I've made that mistake, right? I've left places a little bit too early. And I shouldn't have left and I, I should have stuck it out a little bit more. Right. So I think that's, you, you kind of have to like, if you're going to exit a company, you want to do it on your own terms at the right time and yes. don't let your emotions uh, get, get the best of you. And I've, I've, I've you. made that mistake. So that was me. And it's funny because I've given people that same advice. Well, I was like, don't leave. You got to wait, see that everything's yeah. right. I know you don't like it, but, you know, wait for the situation or there's a vesting period coming and, you know, right. options. You want to hit a certain cliff. So wait for that. Right. That's so. right. Uh, patience and, and being because sometimes it's the, the waiting as hard as it is, it's going to realize all of the value of the time that you've already put in. I mean, we, we are playing. Right. You know, this is a different game here. This is the equity game, and it's all about yeah. If that's sure the that game you're playing. If that's the game you're playing. If that yeah, is definitely one hundred percent. Yeah. How do you keep learning? I keep learning. I you know reading definitely trying to keep up on things. You know, I definitely have a couple of uh, you know Google queries that come and send me articles and certain topics that I want to see. Mm. I'm not on. I'm not on every board. Uh, I know some people like stay up on that pretty on some of the security right. boards, but you know definitely trying to trying to you know reading the the trends right i mean there's so much happening right so um, much right um, but kind of you know being in the open source world for a while it's kind of understanding what what are the big projects coming up and how people are solving things because you know one, another one of my mantras is don't do meta work 
right? Where I've seen mm -hmm. like people are like, hey, we want to write our own database. It's like, why would you want to do that? Just grab one off the shelf. Yeah. And for a lot of stuff like that, there's something already that solves your problem. Like, let's look into that. And, and that research and understanding, I think that's that's critical. Important, to, right, to understand, like, where are there some good steady solutions out there that you don't have yeah. to go? And talking to people, too. That's that's yeah. that's a big thing, right? Reaching mm. out when you don't know. That's a way to, like, keep educated, too. Huge. Huge. Yeah. What do you do to recharge? Uh, to recharge, I, um, you know, I'll, I'll take time to go to the gym. And it's kind of like a way for me to zen out, right? I, I feel that I used to do yoga, yeah. but I, th I think it's important to do something physical where you're not thinking and you're kind of detaching your mind. I know that sounds very uh, uh, new agey coming from a guy <laughs> that grew up in Long Island, but uh, right. um, I think it's important to, to kind of take yourself out of the moment and, mm. and then go back into it. I, I don't do meditation, but um, I'm willing to try. <laughs> hey, open your mind. You yeah. never know. Hey, you um, never know what's going to get in there. What's the, what's the advice you'd give your younger self working in tech? What's the advice? Well, um, buy more Apple shares and don't sell them when they doubled. <laughs> that would have been my advice. And keep on to the Microsoft shares and never sell them. That's the advice I would give myself. <laughs> that's that's the advice you give your younger self. That's that's yeah, great advice. Yeah, my younger self. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the best advice I would give. And yeah. Yeah, don't sell it like the the month after Steve Jobs comes back. Just just hold on to it. It's just hold on, okay. just a little bit more. Yeah, just a little bit longer. Yes. Um, what soft skill do you think has helped your career the most? I think you you kind of have to. I think listening, mm. right? And I think that's something that I try to work on all the time, <laughs> right? So, I, I want to give people like I, I think one big thing and. If, if I mess this up, I'm, I'm sorry to, to the people I work with, but you know, you, you could be, you're wrong a, a lot of times. Right. And you're right. kind of like, if you're this, what is it? Like if you're, there's a couple of sayings, right? Like one of them is like, you know, if you, if you, if you're the smartest person in the room, go to another room. Right. <laughs> and you know, I, I, people that work with me, like they're, they're better at a lot of stuff, right? So I want to understand like, hey, look, this is how we want to go about this. What do you think? Why do you, mm. why do you think this is a bad idea, right? And then we kind of go back and forth and, you you know, just giving people space and respect for their right. opinion and what we need to do, right? And I think that's critical because, you know, a lot of times in my career, right? And as I've gotten up the ladder, right? Like, it's funny, like I worked at one company where um, I hired a lot of co-ops mm. and I still talk to those folks, right? It's crazy, right? Like 20 years later, uh, there's a couple of people I still talk to. They had amazing ideas, right? right. And 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 great insights and, and you're learning from everyone and, and those mm. people. And I think listening and learning and, and just make them comfortable to for, that you're approachable and you could talk to, right? Because if... If you're a jerk and nobody wants to talk to you, it's just, I don't know. That's not my, that's not my vibe. Well, I just think, yeah, it doesn't align with your values. And at some point, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's going to be hard for them to scale, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Cause that you want to scale, right? It's just like, I can't do all of this, right? I want to be surrounded by people that could help me not, not hold them back. Right. 100%. Well, Emiliano, that's it for us. I can't thank you so all much right. for your time. Uh, I'll make sure that people can find out about Trussell down below. I'll put the, uh, the website, the web, uh, the link in there, but thanks for your time, man. Great talking to you. Great talking to you too, man. Take care. 
You too. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on this interview with Emiliano Berenbaum around building and growing your career from a developer to an architect to a CEO, and then also having your companies be acquired in building equity and not just trading your time and talent for it. I think there was a few takeaways that I just want to tease out. It's obvious to me that Emiliano was able to develop his skills. He had deep technical skills that he got working for Bellcorp. And then he was able to translate that into a specialization around security that he's still leveraging today. You can also hear in his story how he continued to look for different opportunities to solve bigger problems that led him to that developer, to the architect, to the chief technology officer of his previous company, and now the CEO of this one. Always looking to solve bigger problems led him to solving problems that created larger impact. I think from the other side, when it talks about building equity, you heard very clearly how important it is to make sure that you get your paperwork straight, that you have somebody that can complement your skills that you're trying to build, that you're leaning into, as he was from understanding product development, sales. He wanted somebody that could help him drive the paperwork, the details, the nuance, so that he could focus on what was most important for him. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I would ask you one thing. If you're enjoying Tech Careers and Money Talk, please leave us a review. We do need reviews to let other people know how well we're doing. Helps the podcast tremendously. Please let us know what you think and leave us a review. Thank you very much. See you on the next episode.